Hi everybody, welcome to CM Memes. At the beginning of this episode, I would like to reflect on a slight critique on my podcast style, which a friend of mine has recently mentioned. I think he was mainly referring to episodes where I was talking about topics that are particularly far outside of my expertise as a physicist and hobby philosopher, such as problems of our present society or political ideas on how to regulate the society in a better way. So, For example, in one episode I mentioned a pattern that I have observed repeatedly and which I called checkmark thinking. So for listeners who have not heard that episode, what I mean with checkmark thinking is that in modern, highly bureaucratic and yeah, regulated societies, every employee or public servant has a very detailed job description yeah, and a very detailed list of criteria or rules which have to be fulfilled so that the people controlling that employee can easily check if the work has been done pro properly, yeah, in quotation marks. So there is a long checklist of little boxes, and if all boxes are checked, this is considered good work, and the employee is safe. Yeah? Then he cannot be prosecuted for this piece of work, because he fulfilled all the formal criteria. The problem is, however, that all these rules and criteria have been set up by other humans, yeah? politicians or higher-ranking administrators. And humans are simply not very good in designing rules that actually work in practice. You know, setting up rules is not an easy task. On the one hand, you must keep a higher goal in mind. Yeah? After all, The work of the employee is supposed to fulfill some useful role in society and the job description should reflect this higher goal. Yeah? A medical doctor should, at least in principle, improve the health condition of his patients. But at the same time, there are countless trivial boundary conditions to be fulfilled. Yeah? For example, the rules should be not too difficult to meet, because otherwise nobody will make such a job. Yeah? And very often it seems that, that the criteria are mainly designed to be easily verifiable yeah, by the superiors or by the managers. And because all of these extra boundary conditions, the rules are very often not well aligned with the larger goal. And this is the main problem in our society, I believe. A misalignment of our job criteria, which we follow blindly to earn our money, a, a misalignment with what the society really needs. Yeah. It's, it's almost like this famous goal alignment problem in artificial intelligence. Yeah. When an artificial intelligence has at one point been given the goal to produce paper clips, and it then becomes super powerful, then it will turn the whole world into a huge heap of paperclips, you know, whatever it takes. And in a similar way, 
our bureaucrats may drown us in never-ending form sheets yeah. that we have to fill out in order to achieve even the slightest thing. Yeah? Or some of us are forced to repeatedly test for COVID, although the tests have such a large fail rate that they are basically random generators. So this was the problem I call checkmark thinking, and I really did not want to repeat it here so long, but sorry for that. So what I really wanted to tell you is what my friend found a bit disturbing in this former podcast episode. According to him, it might seem strange to some people when a physicist is talking about such matters. Yeah? In particular, in a tone that sounds rather confident, I guess, and maybe not very modest. Well, he did not use these words, but this is how I understood him. Yeah? He said that there are professional people around who are specialized on such kind of regulation problems in society. Yeah? And I could have at least mentioned that other people may know better than me in such non-physical matters. Well, I know very well what he means. For example, there are a few very prominent people in the German mass media who were originally not in the media business. I'm thinking in particular of one physicist and one philosopher whom I really liked in the early period when they became famous. But then they became so overpresent in the mass media that they are now commenting almost daily yeah, on all kinds of topics, whatever comes up in the news. And they always appear like experts that, you know, go to the bottom of things. Yeah? And this is a bit annoying even to me when a person demonstrates a superior understanding in practically every topic yeah? without acknowledging that there is probably a whole team behind them that finds the required information and selects what is relevant and pre-processes everything. Yeah? <laughs> My goal here is definitely not to appear as some super intelligent intellectual who knows everything. Yeah? Actually, the opposite is true. I consider myself as average intelligent at most, And my level of general education yeah, about ordinary life things and politics and history and economy and so on, my knowledge about these things is definitely much less than average. Yeah? When I listen to the talks of normal people, for example, in the sauna of my sports club, I'm always amazed how much these people know. They remember all these facts about taxes and cars and house building and medicine and of course about politics yeah and I, i cannot even name you the most important politicians in our present german government and even if i read them up i will forget them within minutes yeah i think there's hardly anybody with such a bad memory like mine and therefore even though i'm taking in huge amounts of information every day yeah, in the form of books and articles and podcasts, I hardly store any explicit knowledge which I could later repeat in a conversation yeah, 
I only store implicit, yeah, intuitive knowledge. Just to give you a random example, if you would ask me about my opinion about Russia, yeah, I cannot provide you any clear historical or economical facts offhand. But over my life, I had, of course, encounters with Russia-related things or people. Yeah? I have cooperated with you know, several Russian scientists when I was still working on quantum nanostructures. And I have listened to music from Russian composers. I read novels from Russian authors. And I have heard millions of Russia-related news. Yeah? But now I forgot all these details. Yeah? There remains only kind of a vague feeling about Russia. Yeah? And my knowledge is equally vague for most other parts of modern life. So how can some uneducated scientist like me, yeah, who has only worked on theoretical fantasies for all his life, how can somebody like me dare to talk about social phenomena such as this checkmark thinking? Yeah? Let me tell you why. Because there is one specific power I have, and this is to immediately recognize interesting and mostly abstract patterns whenever I stumble on them. Yeah? This is like, like fishing at a river, yeah? a river of information. You stand there for hours and nothing happens. But suddenly you feel this slight tug on the fishing line. Yeah? And in my case, it's like a sudden adrenaline rush. Yeah? Something from the unconscious tells me then what is a great piece of information and what not. And actually, I have built my whole career around this ability to detect exciting ideas, yeah? to find cool patterns of information. Or I could also say to find some better-than-average memes. Yeah? So nowadays, you can publish papers in science only if they contain one or more of these exciting memes. Yeah? So in science, we say you need a sexy story to publish your stuff in a good journal. But I think the most important step is to have one or more sexy memes. Yeah? So it's usually relatively easy to find afterwards a story that connects these memes to some coherent whole. And then you can publish it. And by the way, I'm teaching this four-semester-long course on complex systems now, since decades. And the whole thing is simply a collection of the coolest and most exciting works that I could find in the field of complex systems throughout my whole life as a scientist. Yeah? I think excitement is a very good indicator that something is worthwhile to study. Yeah? I never looked for famous names in science. I only looked for my personal excitement and I completely trust in this sixth sense. So the reason why I dare to talk in my podcast about ideas that are far from my academic field is because I only talk about those ideas that have passed through my <laughs> subconscious excitement filter. Yeah? 
I know from many past experiences that I sometimes have an idea, sometimes I recognize a pattern which is new to me, but which has this specific feeling of excitement. And then later, I often find that other people had the same idea and maybe published it just recently or sometimes already decades ago. But the point is that one can have relevant ideas also in fields which one has never studied. Yeah? And so I promise you that I will not talk about any arbitrary topic in my podcast yeah? just to appear well-informed or, or to demonstrate that I have an opinion on everything, yeah? like some of these famous TV scientists and philosophers. I will only talk about things that come from my heart. Okay, this was a quite long remark on my friend's little critique. But let me finish up this section with one more point. My friend also mentioned that he does not completely agree with my idea that the policymakers should look out for laws that many people find very annoying and not really useful. You know, like the cookie warning windows that pop up at every web page in the internet recently. Such laws must be changed, in my opinion. And there are many, many, many more inconvenient laws that seem to harm more than they achieve. Yeah? My friend, however, reminded me that certainly there are also laws which are by times inconvenient but nevertheless must be kept, like our fundamental rights. And here I have to agree fully. Yeah? I did not mean to change such fundamental laws. Yeah? I was thinking about the countless smaller laws and stupid rules which make our lives miserable. Yeah? Like age limits in science, yeah? which prevent you from applying for certain grants once a certain number of years has passed after your PhD. I think this is unfair and stupid. Yeah? You know, I think the state should try to make life as pleasant an experience as possible for its citizens. Yeah? For me, the rules of a country are like the operating system of a computer. Yeah? The operating system makes certain actions easy and prevents others, potentially harmful actions. But this can be done in good and bad ways. I personally would like to live in a state that is more like the operating system on Apple devices. There, everything is made to run smoothly, without unnecessary complexity and without friction and effort. Simple, transparent rules, yeah, and a beautiful desktop interface that makes it fun to work with. But behind it, yeah, I want to have the most powerful technology, working quietly and hiding the complexity from my view. Yeah? Unfortunately, Germany does not have such a human-friendly operating system. Not at all.
Okay, since I recorded this last section of the podcast, many, many days have passed. Days in which I was too distracted to continue with the recording. Because, you know, there is so much interesting stuff going on recently. It's unbelievable. Once you follow the right crowd of people on Twitter, and once you have subscribed to the right mix of podcasts and YouTube channels, then you get this broad, never-ending stream of information yeah, that exactly matches your personal needs. I really think this abundance of personalized information, yeah, of original, high-quality information, this is unprecedented in human history. So there would be so much brilliant stuff to discuss, but it's simply overwhelming. Yeah? It becomes hard to find the right balance between learning new things, thinking them over, and talking about them to other people. Yeah? It's like this exploration-exploitation dilemma in reinforcement learning. Yeah? How much resources do you spend for gathering new knowledge and how much for using what you already know? Anyway, I just wanted to let you know why my podcast episodes come so irregularly. It's because I'm overwhelmed. Now, in the last segment, there was already a lot of meta-talk about speaking publicly on topics one has no deep knowledge about. But now I feel an urge to talk even a little bit more about the value of non-specialist viewpoints. You know, when I discover a new piece of information that excites me, some new little insight or idea, no matter if I read it or hear it from other people, or if it pops up from my own subconscious, then I experience this insight simply as a moment of joy. And I'm collecting moments of joy in my life. I'm very naive in this respect. I want to have as much moments of joy as possible for myself and for the people around me. And so I like to share these new pieces of information with others. And this is also the whole point why I was teaching my lectures in university for so many years now. I simply wanted to share the excitement of cool science with students. Full stop. I don't really care so much if the contents of the lecture are useful for the world or even useful for the future of myself and of the students. The long-term consequences of my actions are almost impossible to foresee in my little mind. I think I'm like a single cell of a larger body. The cell has maybe a certain understanding, in quotation marks, of what it has to do in order to feel well. Yeah? And in order to make its direct neighbors feel well. Yeah? Which molecules slash information it should absorb through its cell membrane, which it should better avoid, and which it should release into the bloodstream. But the cell has quite certainly no understanding of the big scheme of things, right? In a way, it behaves egoistically. 
But nevertheless, the body as a whole, yeah, of which the cell is such a tiny part, this body works despite of the egoistic single-cell behavior. Because somehow, everything that makes the cell feel good contributes also to the wellness of the body as a whole. Yeah. There is this natural alignment of micro and macro goals. Like the economic concept of the invisible hand from Adam Smith. And the same is true for this podcast. Yeah. I'm just a tiny bundle of localized consciousness in this huge ongoing stream of all beings. Yeah. And my tiny contribution to the whole is to collect cool ideas that excite me and to share them with others to hopefully give them a little moment of joy as well. And by the way, I think that it is a good thing when ideas or memes are floating around from mind to mind. You know? In particular, when people express these ideas in their own idiosyncratic words. Of course, the original idea gets a little bit changed every time it is retold by a new human. Yeah? But this keeps the idea alive in a way. It's, it's like with standards in jazz. Yeah? There is this huge repertoire of traditional jazz songs which are played by all jazz bands over and over again. But every improviser is expressing the song in a very new way. And sometimes these changed versions are much richer than the original because the whole personality of the improviser is somehow added to the song. So when I talk about political topics like checkmark thinking or about the friction which rules create, yeah, then I talk about this from my very special background as a scientist and a complexity researcher and yeah, a computer programmer. For example, I have encountered this friction induced by bad rules in writing computer code. If the programming language you use is not suitable for the problem you try to solve, then this creates a lot of frustrating extra work. Yeah, and on an abstract level, this is the same pattern as in society. If the rules in a society are not suitable for the daily problems the people have to solve, then life is unnecessarily complicated. And then we have to fill out endless form sheets or click away stupid pop-up windows all the time. But let me come back to the problem of being not a specialist in any field and still spreading ideas into the internet. I see that this creates a possible problem because I may spread false information or partly false information. I mean, not purposefully, of course, but with the best of intentions, maybe out of some incomplete understanding on my side. But on the other hand, I think the people who listen to my podcast are extremely well educated. Yeah. It happens that I have contact with 
a considerable fraction of them. And if I extrapolate from the sample to the whole, those people are perfectly capable of filtering information yeah, instead of blindly believing everything. You know, ignore what is bullshit and take in what is useful. Yeah? Just like the cells absorb only healthy molecules. Actually, I wish we would all educate ourselves to the point where we can judge the value of incoming information by ourselves and based only on this piece of information itself, yeah? not based on the reputation or education of the source. In my opinion, we don't even need to check every time if the information source is trustworthy in general. Yeah? Even a liar can say something interesting occasionally. But at the same time, we should not take any information too seriously, even if it comes from the so-called top specialists in the field. I would even go one step further. Even information that does not match reality, yeah, even wrong information, in quotation marks, can be exciting and even useful for possible future situations. See what I mean? When a piece of information is exciting, this means that it has some kind of internal coherence or beauty. Yeah? Something makes it better than average. And even if it does not match our present reality, it may become applicable in future reality. Yeah? So when I'm reading a book, I may disagree with the main thesis of the author, but I can still pick out a few pieces of information that seem useful for the future. It's really the same situation as with the material food that we eat. Yeah? The food usually comes in bundles yeah? where lots of ingredients are mixed. Some are essential for nourishment, some are not really necessary, and others are even harmful. Yeah? But nevertheless, we first swallow everything and then our body is sorting out the good and the bad stuff. Yeah? The bad and useless stuff is simply removed from the system. Let's handle information the same way, please. Now this food analogy reminds me of another interesting aspect. If something in the food is harmful for us, our body may not only discard it quietly, but it may additionally signal us very clearly that we should please avoid this kind of food the next time. So maybe we feel sick for some period, or in the worst case we even may have some allergic overreaction. And something similar happens when we read or hear information that disturbs us in a negative way. Yeah? For example, in Twitter, we may read a tweet that makes us angry. And this anger is like a kind of allergic reaction of our mind. Yeah? So obviously, there is some information that does not harmonize with our personal world model. And this point where we become aware 
of our initial anger. This point is a dangerous moment because we may react immediately and tweet back our counter-argument. And this can very quickly end up in a little mini-war on Twitter. In such a situation, I think it is better not to react, but to just ignore the information. Or in extreme cases, we may unfollow this Twitter user. But maybe even this would be already an overreaction. How about consuming information and news feeds of all kind? How about consuming this stuff in a state of mind similar to a meditation, where we first welcome and accept everything that pops up in consciousness, but we don't react on anything, at least not immediately. Anyway, I hardly experience moments of anger when I'm reading my news feeds because I have curated them carefully. And as I mentioned before, I'm extremely satisfied in the moment with my information diet. Day after day, delicious and varied mental food. I just should avoid to overeat. When I remember correctly, I mentioned last time that I want to talk a little bit more about Buddhism in my podcast. And this was anyway my original idea when I started my German podcast yeah, about two years ago. What, what does a 21st century physicist without any formal education in Buddhist philosophy, what does a layperson like me make of the core concepts of an ancient wisdom tradition. I hope you will find it somewhat interesting or at least amusing to witness live, in quotation marks, how I struggle to understand these concepts. And maybe this philosophical struggle 
will stretch over several podcast episodes. All right, let's start immediately with something really deep. The concept of emptiness or shunyata, which is the original Sanskrit word, I guess. I have read and thought quite a lot about emptiness in my younger years. But instead of telling you my private interpretation right away, let me approach the topic with a fresh mind. Let's say we have encountered this concept for the first time, and so we look it up in Wikipedia. Quote, Shunyata, translated most often as emptiness, vacuity, and sometimes voidness, is an Indian philosophical and mathematical construct. Within Hinduism, Jainism, Buddhism, and other philosophical strands, the concept has multiple meanings depending on its doctrinal context. It is either an ontological feature of reality, a meditative state, or a phenomenolog phenomenological analysis of experience. End quote. Okay, even this short piece of text demonstrates already my limited knowledge in this field. Because in my mind, so far, Shunyata was very clearly a Buddhist concept. I was not aware that it also plays a role in Hinduism, Jainism and other philosophical strands. But this fits with my gradual understanding that Buddhism is not as original as I thought. Yeah? Many core ideas were already available in Hinduism and in this Vedantic traditions. But of course, Buddhism has evolved these ideas further. Anyway, the other interesting point in this quote from Wikipedia is that Shunyata has different possible meanings depending on context. It is either an ontological feature of reality, a meditative state, or a phenomenological analysis of experience. I think before I had my flip to idealism, such an ambiguity of meaning would have slightly repelled me. I mean, for a materialist, yeah, how can something be simultaneously a feature of reality and a mind state? But now, after the flip, This makes perfect sense to me. Yeah? What we call features of reality are always properties of what appears on our screen of perception. Yeah? We don't have direct access to the real reality behind the screen of perception. Yeah? Whatever pops up in our consciousness is already filtered and pre-processed in many ways. Yeah? Everything is seen and experienced through the lens of our interpreting mind. And therefore, if we change the way our mind works, yeah, if we manipulate the settings of our brain's filters and preprocessors, for example by meditative techniques, then the features of reality will change accordingly. So emptiness seems to be such a feature that is potentially there in the real reality, yeah? but it may only be convincingly experienced after we train our mind. Or 
after we do this, how they call it, phenomenological analysis of experience. Okay, so this is now maybe a good point to throw in my present private understanding of emptiness, which is based on yeah, what I have read during the earlier decades of my life. I think, at least for some Buddhists, emptiness points to the fact that everything we perceive does not exist out of itself. Yeah? Nothing has independent existence, as they often call it. Instead, everything depends on conditions. So one, at least temporary, definition of emptiness would be a lack of independent existence. But can we confirm this definition? Yeah? Does it make any sense? For example, let's talk about this so-called world out there. Yeah? And let's also pretend to be old-fashioned materialists. Or let's even take the viewpoint of a mainstream physicist. Okay? So if we then take any compound object, yeah, like a stone, the stone has no independent existence because it is composed of atoms. And the atoms of elementary particles and the elementary particles are just temporary excitations of quantum fields. So without quantum fields, the stone would not exist. Yeah? In this sense, the stone has no independent existence, but its existence depends on the existence of the quantum fields, simply. And with the same argument, no objects exist independently in the physical universe, except the quantum fields. So even the hardcore physicalist would agree that the stone, as a separate object, exists just in our mind. Yeah? And since I have once been a physicalist, I always found that, that certain key concepts in Buddhism are very much in line with physics. Yeah? But we can also interpret dependent existence in a slightly different way. The continued existence of the stone in its present form depends also on many macroscopic conditions. Yeah? For example, the stone would melt if the surrounding temperature would exceed a certain threshold. So the hardness, which is one characteristic of stones, right, depends on the temperature. And of course, stones also have other characteristics, such as a rather large weight. But if the gravity would suddenly stop, the stone would lose this weight. And of course, if certain natural constants would suddenly change, and we don't know any mechanism which would prevent it, by the way, then the strength of electromagnetic interactions may become much less, and so the atoms that make up the stone might also lose their mutual cohesion. Yeah? And so the stone may disintegrate into atoms, like a gas. So, in a way, Dependent existence is built into our reductionistic world model of modern science. However, I find it interesting in this context that there is a fundamental difference between living and non-living objects. 
when the local temperature starts to rise to higher and higher values, the stone would just passively lie there and finally melt. But living beings would try to avoid the temperature death and they would simply walk away to cooler places, you know, provided they can move. So the stone does not have any independent existence whatsoever. It does not mind at all to melt. You know? But living organisms have at least a will to independent existence. You know? So organisms are actually nested feedback loops of homeostatic mechanisms, which try to keep all the essential body parameters within a healthy range. And so they make themselves as independent as possible from outer circumstances. Of course, this has limits, and despite all the struggle, we eventually die. But still, I would say that living organisms are a little less empty than inanimate objects. Yeah? If you allow me to turn shunyata into a graded property. All right. I think I'm talking long enough already. I will continue the discussion of emptiness in future episodes. And there are many more fascinating aspects and implications. But for the time being, I thank you for listening and wish you all the best. May you be happy, healthy and peaceful.